Good evening. It's good to be with you, to have another opportunity to worship God together, an opportunity to study from His Word, a beautiful Lord's Day devoted fully to Him. That's the key to a day like this. The first day of the week, a day that we can devote to God. And it's been a wonderful day of worship to Him and a wonderful opportunity that we have to study from His Word. We're going to start in the book of Genesis. We think about the book of Genesis in a lot of ways. It is a massive book. I mean, a big book, 50 chapters. And they are long, and they are in-depth. And there is a lot covered in the book of Genesis. There is a huge amount of time covered in the book of Genesis. I mean, you start literally at the very beginning, and you are decades and centuries, centuries upon centuries upon centuries upon centuries by the time you get to the end of the book of Genesis. There is a lot happening, and it is a huge book. And sometimes when we see and we read and we try to figure out books like the book of Genesis, we get wrapped up in the fact that is there something going on? Is there a theme? Is there something simple that we can pull? Or how can I get such a huge book to fit neatly into my small mind? One way that I've always thought about the book of Genesis, and I've shared this several times in some of the classes that I've taught, is that when it comes to the book of Genesis, one of the easiest ways to think about it is it is the story of the lives of six men. And if you have some semblance of what happened to each of those men, you have the entirety of the book of Genesis. You have Adam and Noah, followed by then Abraham and his family. Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and to Joseph. And if you have a little bit about each of those men in your mind, then you have the whole of the book of Genesis. What happened? What's going on? You have a good picture about what's there. Now, predominant piece of the book is really devoted to the last four characters. Abraham, the story of his life, and ultimately the story of his family, which really will carry on throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. But it is the story of this family beginning with Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph, an incredible story that unfolds and all kinds of things are happening. Good decisions are made by these men. Poor decisions are made by these men. But when it really comes down to it, there are so many lessons and principles to learn these men devoted themselves to God. What I find interesting and where we're going to really spend our time tonight is in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, in that incredible chapter about men and women of faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph are all made mention of, but to me it is what is said about them that is so remarkable. 
So many things could be said about Abraham and his faith. So many things for sure could be said about Joseph and his faith. But what is chosen and what they have in common, I believe, is key. And I think it can help us to really get then a big sense about one of the overriding principles that God is trying to teach us in the book of Genesis by what the book of Hebrews tells us about these men. So in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8, we're going to read beginning in verse 8. We're going to read all the way down through verse 22. And what I want you to be looking for are two things. Number one, I want you to be looking for commonalities. Commonalities. And then secondly, a little bit more specific, I want you to be looking for what is said that their faith accomplished. So I want you to be looking for those two things. We're going to read this text together, and then I'll point out a few things that I think can be helpful to us as we talk about our faith, specifically giving a little bit away, faith that waits, faith that waits. It's fitting, even though I didn't know that he was going to be doing it, that Keith began our worship talking about faith and talking about trust and putting our trust and our faith in God, who he is, what he has said, what he has promised, the plans that he has for us. A life that's able to trust in those things is a life that is faithful. And certainly that point is made. Let's read it together. I'm in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8. We're going to go all the way down to verse 22, and then we'll go back and point out a few specific things after that. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. 
By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Now, I want you to think about what's said about these four prominent men in the book of Genesis. You remember the book of Genesis is the story of six men, and you have four of them given to us right here in Hebrews chapter 11, one after the other, after the other, after the other. And I want just to see that in a lot of ways, there is one singular point that has been made or is being made with all of these men. And the emphasis in a lot of ways rests on God's promises and on his plans. I want to direct your attention back to a couple of verses where you can see this, and words even. Look back again, verse 9. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Look at verse 11. By faith Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised, verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them, that are the promises, afar off, which were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed them. Again, that is those promises that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Even verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. You see, over and over in this text, it is what is front and center are God's promises. Broaden that out a little bit. God's words, that they can be trusted fully. And I will bank all of my being, all of my decisions, all of the places I go, all of the places that I don't go, all of the things that I say, all of the decisions that I make are based off of what God has said because I trust that, because I believe that. In a way, that's kind of an odd, but I believe telling definition about what faith really is all about. And when it comes to promises like these, one of, if not the most challenging thing about it is waiting. Our culture today has to be the worst waiters that have ever been before us. We have to be. Now, I know we often make reference to that, and sometimes we'll throw out hyperboles like, you know, this is the most wicked of all generations and cultures. Well, there have always been wicked generations and cultures. Man has been wicked and really, really wicked in the past. But when it comes to waiting and being good at it, we in this culture, especially in this country at this time, We are the worst. We are the worst. And how do we know that? Well, think about all of the things we have that we have solely because it is convenient or faster. Those are the things that we love the most. 
whether it's the fast food restaurant or the microwave when it comes to our food, we love those things. We just had spent a few days at Disney last week, and there are multiple lanes. And you can stand in the slow lane and wait for an hour or two hours for a ride, or you can pay money, and you can go in what they call the lightning lane. And guess where I want to go? The lightning lane. That's where I want to be. And guess what I did? I paid money for that. Why did I do that? Well, I'll tell you why I did that. One reason. I did not want to wait. That's the only reason you do that. I don't want to wait. And Disney knows there's lots of people that don't want to wait, so we'll make a line for them and charge them not to wait. And I'm like, okay. We hate it. And when it comes to thinking about God and his promises, one of the greatest challenges is waiting. Being able to wait. You think about Abraham, and you think about Isaac, and you think about Jacob, and you think about Joseph. All they did was wait. But yet they still base all of their decisions on that. So let's think about Abraham. There's a really interesting point that's made at the very beginning of Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. That while he was waiting by faith, he was obeying. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Hebrews 11 and verse 8. While he was waiting, he was also obeying, listening, following God. And there are a couple of things that I want to use to showcase that that I think can be helpful practically for us today. So the first is this. While he waited, he obeyed. And he obeyed, number one, when he didn't know where he was going. You see the point that's made in verses 8 through 10? We won't reread those, but you can certainly look down and you can see the point that's being made. He was obeying even though he had no idea where he was going. Think about the point that's made. And I think it's important for us. Where did Abraham live? He lived in tents. And because he was living in tents, he was ready to move when God said it was time to move. He didn't establish roots. He didn't establish a place that would make it difficult for him. He lived in a tent. And because of that, when God spoke, he was ready to move. Any different for us today? I'll tell you there's not. Now, Abraham was literally living in tents. But attitude-wise and perspective-wise, it is the same. You see, he was a stranger, and he was a pilgrim, and he moved about at God's behest. And we live the same way. We're also pilgrims. We're also strangers. And we have to be ready to move when God speaks. I mean, it's a point that Peter makes in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, he'll make this exact point when he says, I beg you, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. He reminds them and us 
this is who we are. I am a sojourner. I am a pilgrim. And what that means is I am making myself ready to move when God speaks. I'm not tied to anything in this world. If I tie myself to something in this world and God tells me, go over there, let go of that, move away from that. If I'm tied to this, it's going to make it very difficult for me then to remove myself from that and go to where God wants me to go. But if I understand, I'm not from here, I'm not tied to this world. I make myself ready to move at the behest of God. When God wants me to go, I'm going. When God wants me to stay away, I'm staying away. When God wants me to be, I will be. It is the attitude that we are to have. And Abraham, at the very outset, was able to do that. Well, how was he able to do that? Well, the text tells us because his eyes, his focus, was on that heavenly city. Simply, Abraham lived in the future sense. That's how we have to be. We have to live in the future sense. And so when we're able to do that, I can obey. I can obey as I move throughout this world. Secondly, we see from Abraham that Abraham obeyed when he didn't know how God's will was going to be accomplished. Again, you could take a peek at chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, and talking about Isaac and the fact that Abraham and Sarah, very old, past childbearing age, was still to have a child. And the point is made that Abraham obeyed, and when he didn't even know how God's will was going to be accomplished. You see, unbelief, unbelief, lack of faith, asks the question, how can this be? Where faithfulness asks the question, how shall this be? We love asking questions. We know, we love knowing the answer. We love to know the how and the why all the time. You see, Abraham and Sarah were able to trust in God when when they didn't see, when they didn't see how it was going to happen or how it can happen. But yet they still obeyed. I'll couple that with this third point, that Abraham obeyed when, when he didn't know when God would fulfill his promises. You see, beginning there in verse 13, Did you see the very beginning of that? These all died. They all died in faith, not having received the promises. None of the patriarchs saw the fulfillment of God's promises, but they saw them afar off. They lived in tents, but yet knew a heavenly city awaited them. And that level of perspective is what the Christian has to have in this world. We have to have it. I don't know where, I don't know when, I don't know how, 
God will ultimately fulfill all of the promises and plans that he has for me. John talked a little bit about that this morning. But the question comes down to it, can I I trust him enough to not have to worry about the where or the when or the how? I don't need the where. I don't need the when. I don't need the how. Because I trust God enough that he is in control. One of the final things here at, I'll put here at the very bottom to kind of finish out what the Hebrew writer says about Abraham is when he switches over to the test of sacrificing Isaac. The point here is made that Abraham obeyed when he he didn't know why God was so working. And that was an odd way to phrase that. And trust me, I spent some time trying to figure out a different way to say it. But the point that I want to make here is that Abraham, throughout the entirety of that process, how many whys could he have asked God? How many times? How many different times throughout this whole process could he have stopped to ask God why? Does this make sense? God, it doesn't make sense to me. This is the promise that you've made, and here Isaac is. That doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? Why would you have me go? Why would you have me take him? Why would you have me do something like this? Why, 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 why? Multiple different times, multiple different ways. But instead... He remains faithful and obedient. I'm not equipped. I'm not equipped as a man to understand the why and the when and the how God operates. Now, he has revealed some of those things to us, for sure, But I'm not equipped to understand how God operates in those ways. But I absolutely, undoubtedly can trust that he can. And he does. When we see Abraham and all of these different things, all of it comes down to the fact that their trust in God was full. And even with Isaac, even with Jacob and Joseph, we see. I want to hit those verses, and then we're going to tie all of this together as we close. You see, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, they trusted in God's word. They trusted in his promises. Isaac, in verses 20 and 21, Isaac passed on the promises and blessings to Jacob, and Jacob passed them on to his sons. And even with Joseph... I mean, the faith of Joseph is a remarkable thing. How many different things could the Hebrew writer have wrote about the faith of Joseph? How many verses could Joseph have had here in Hebrews chapter 11? Abraham had several verses. Moses, he gets several verses, and certainly rightly so. But how many verses could Joseph have gotten? But but what do we have? We have this one verse about Joseph's bones. And we get so caught up in that very end part about his bones, verse the end of verse 22, and gave instructions concerning his bones. But in a lot of ways, the telling part is the middle or kind of the beginning of that verse. 
that we miss sometimes because we, we jump to the bones so quick. But think about what the Hebrew writer says about Joseph. And why. It's the why he gave instructions concerning his bones. He says in verse 22, by faith Joseph, when he was dying, listen, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. From where? From where they were in Egypt. Were they packing their bags and getting ready to go? No. It was a long, long time from this point when Joseph is making comments like this before the people of Israel become the people of Israel and go into the land that God has promised them. But what's Joseph thinking about? Certainly his bones, but why does he say that? Because he's making mention of the departure of the children of Israel. It is a remarkable thought. You see, Joseph trusted in God because he knew where he belonged. And that's in the promised land. The very end of the book of Genesis is is telling to me. Sometimes we miss it again because of what happens kind of right before that about what Joseph says about God and the way that he operates, that throughout all of these things that are happening, God knew that he was working good through that. And we make mention of that passage, and and rightly so. But I want you to direct your attention to the very end of the book of Genesis. What are the last things said? The last things said in the book. Joseph, he's speaking. He dies at the very end of this book. But look at what he says. In Genesis chapter 50, beginning of verse 24, the very end of the book, what's the focus to be? Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying. His final words. But God will surely visit you. And bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. And so Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. What was the last thought in the mind of Joseph? God's promise. That's how sure he was of it. God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land. Listen, when Joseph says this, I mean, his his family that's there in Egypt, they weren't having a tough go of it. Things were going very well for them there. But yet from his perspective, this is what God said, and so this is what will happen. And we see that exactly take place. Two other places is made mention of in Scripture in Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 19, Moses, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. A direct quote. I find that fascinating. This is not the next year where it's like, you remember what Joseph said last year? This is hundreds of years later. 
And Moses is directly quoting what he says. And so you have in the book of Joshua and the very story of the people going into the land, the very end of that book, this story is not forgotten. In Joshua chapter 24, beginning in verse 32, the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem. And the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. It's a remarkable thing that's talked about directly here in Hebrews chapter 11. So what's the key that brings all that together? We'll turn back to the book of Hebrews. The very end of Hebrews chapter 11, as, as this story unfolds, not just of these four men, but of others made mention of. The application is made by Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, where the Hebrew writer will say, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before. You see, the application is made here in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. All of the people that are made mention of in Hebrews chapter 11 who by faith ran the race that they ran, by faith with endurance ran the race. And so the Hebrew writer says, you look to them. You focus on what they focused on. You act and react in the way that they acted and reacted. And you run your race with faith. And so we think about Abraham, and we think about Isaac, and we think about Jacob, and we think about Joseph. They ran their race of faith with patience, fully trusting in God. Does that make a difference in life? Every single aspect of life. As a young person, the battles that you're facing that seem ever so difficult, where you can say, and rightly so, some of the most difficult things you've ever had to do, you be patient in that and faithful. As a young person, maybe a young married person who faces the challenges of those types of things, that the world is battling against the family, you be patient and faithful, and you trust in God. As a parent of young children, of teenage children, you be patient, and you have faith. As an older person, coming to the very end of your life, you have patience and you trust in God and what he has promised and what he has said. And you run your race with endurance all the way to the very end, trusting that God is in full control. It's not about the how or the why or the when, but knowing that God has promised 
that the, those who run this race faithfully, focusing themselves on Jesus, will spend eternity with him in heaven. It is a focus that's talked about from the patriarchs, looking afar off to that heavenly city that awaits us. It is a powerful perspective. And I contend the only perspective that will allow us to make it through this journey of life. It's a good study, all of Hebrews chapter 11. There's lots of points to be made. But I do find it interesting that these four men are given to us one right in a row and basically, to me, the same point is made. And so a powerful one for sure. So I appreciate everybody for listening tonight, spending some time in worship and study as we spend this time together. We're going to sing a song of invitation. It gives us an opportunity to be thinking about our relationship with God. It is the most important relationship that we have. We need to make sure it's right and it need to make sure it's strong. And we've got a great opportunity to be thinking about that as we sing this song. It's an opportunity for all of us to be considering our relationship with God. And it may be your relationship with God is not where it needs to be. Maybe we can help with that in some way. Maybe through the waters of baptism, having your sins washed away. Maybe a conversation, maybe prayers that we can help with. If there's anything that we can do, you let us know as we stand and sing.